Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 14 of Cue the Duck Boats podcast. As you can probably tell, I am not Jacob Abenati. He is on the COVID protocol list this week. So I, Connor Green, will be stepping in to take over for Jake this week temporarily. And I am joined by the big man, Kev himself. Kev, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good, and I'm glad to have you back on here, Connor. Uh, kind of sad, no Jake. We we're starting to get that whole trio trio thing down, but I'm glad I still have a partner to get this thing going. Absolutely, and of course, Jake will still be with us in spirit here. But we have a great episode this week coming up. We had a lot of stuff going on in the land of the Bruins as far as you know, retirement, a suspension, some injuries, and then of course, you know, a little All Star Weekend wrap up, and then. Looks like we've got the Super Bowl weekend coming up, so we got a lot of things in store there. But before we get into it, a quick word from our show sponsor and friends of Inside the Rink, BetUS. BetUS has your NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and of course, NFL betting lines for their 27th year of live betting. Sign up for BetUS.com with the promo code RINK for a 125% sign-up bonus. Again, that promo code is RINK for your 125% sign-up bonus. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. So Kevin, like we started uh, off the top with there, the biggest news of the week is probably a retirement in Boston. Tuka Rask ends the comeback tour this week and decides that he's going to hang him up and retire as the winningest Boston Bruins goaltender in franchise history. What do you have to say there, Kev? Yeah, it's definitely like a sad moment because like you, we all know like Rask worked so hard to come back from that hip injury and the offseason surgery. And we thought he had a chance. We thought he was what we were going to need to get through this season. But it just turned out it was too much. He like wasn't feeling comfortable. You could see it in the games. He wasn't Tuca. And that's the biggest thing. And you have to like respect him so much. Or instead of hurting the team, he's like, I'd rather just swallow my pride, retire, and wish these boys the best. I don't want to ruin their season. I'm just gonna bite the bullet. And that just shows how much a professional like Rask is and how much he cares for these guys. He wants them to win. And if he and he understands if he's holding them back, that he doesn't he shouldn't be there. And that's just so much respect to him for that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there. But I, I, I got a couple questions for you with the Rask retirement. I'm gonna start with the local one. With him being the winningest goaltender in history, he does have a Stanley Cup, you know, to his name, even though he wasn't the starter for it. Does Rask's number go to the rafters in Boston? That's definitely a tough one. I really wish Jake was here to answer that one, but uh, I think even if possib- it's even if it's just a gut reaction, yes or a no, I you know you don't. I think really there's definitely a possibility. Know. Like there will be consideration. So I think he could. I think if he had won a Stanley Cup, being the primary goalie, then I would say yes. Like being the winningest, because that means a lot in Boston. If you don't win. You're a nobody, but once you win, like that's what Boston expects. So that definitely carries some weight and just the respect and longevity that Rask had. 
So I could definitely see it happening. Was it going to happen right away? No. Maybe in 10 years, possibly. Okay. But so this second one's probably going to be a little bit easier with, you know, how tough that first answer was. Do you think there's a chance he could make it into the Hockey Hall of Fame? Ooh, I don't know how uh, good I am to answer that one, but I feel like no. no I feel okay. like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really, like, up on, like, Hockey Hall of Fame and, like, what, like, the level of, like, like what you need on your resume, like, compared to, like, baseball and, like, football. Like, that's a little tougher, but so I can't give you a definite answer. What do you Enough. think? I don't know. For me, I think it's a almost a definite yes that his number goes to the rafters, you know, being the best goaltender in franchise history. And he's ninth all time in playoff save percentage. Um, of course, number one is Tim Thomas. So, you know, you have the yin to the yang there, but he's got the Stanley cup. He's been in Boston for a huge chunk of success. He's got the most wins in franchise history. I think he becomes the first goaltender to get his number put into the rafters. But the second part of that question, I would probably say no, that he's he's not one of those goaltenders who's going to you know, go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. I think the championships is what held him back. And in 2013, it definitely wasn't his fault, but the Bruins were definitely the better team there, in my opinion. And I think if he would have solidified that Stanley Cup and won it as the starter, Maybe our thoughts are a little different there, but we will find out hopefully in the next five to 10 years, if that comes true, but at least for the next six games, the Bruins will be without Brad Marshan after his antics with the Pittsburgh Penguins this week with a, a nice punch to the head of Tristan Jari after a little scuffle after the whistle. And then of course, as he's getting escorted off the ice, he takes a nice spear or a jab, whatever you want to call it, to the head or throat of Jari. Did you see that game, Kevin, or did you just catch the highlights? Oh, no, I was watching that. Me What'd and Jake were texting, and Jake's like, dude, really? And Jake even said, that's probably going to get him five games, and he got six. So Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but in the game of hockey – you typically aren't suspended for punching someone on the ice. I, th I think this suspension had a lot to do with it was on a goaltender and most of it was because it was Brad Marchand and his reputation follows. And this was their opportunity to, to lay it to Brad after he's been absolutely given it to the league as far as, you know, not going to the Olympics and, Arizona being a disaster and playing in, you know, a three to 5,000 seat arena next season, but still not a bad look or not a good look. I should say on Marshan for that one. It was kind of the Marshan of old, which he's been preaching, you know, he's put that in his past. And last episode when Jake was with us, he said that Marshan is expected to be a hundred point player this season as long as he doesn't get suspended so while jake's not here to defend himself ladies and gentlemen it's jake's fault that marshan got suspended <laughs> and then of course 
the last Bruins topic for this week as we keep the NHL segment short for Super Bowl weekend. Patrice Bergeron took a nasty fall there after kind of getting his feet tangled up in coincidentally, I guess you could say, with Sidney Crosby and hitting his back and his head against the boards. What was your take on that play there? What did you see? Yeah, no, definitely watching it like live, and then I've watched the highlights of that hit like over and over, and it's like we all like Crosby's not really a dirty player. That's not who he's known for. So it's hard to be like, yeah, that was a dirty hit on Crosby. Was it an unfortunate hit? Yes. Like, but like I said, things happen. Like how we watched the Taylor Hall hit on Nathan McKinnon. Like shit happens in hockey. Like hits happen, and then you fall the wrong way and your leg gets twisted the wrong way and your blade gets caught in the ice the wrong way. And like, like longer, like more damaging things happen. So it's more like for me, it's just unfortunately, I don't think definitely wasn't intentional. Like Marshand, which that was <laughs> definitely sad. Like you saying, I was like, Marshand's put that pass behind him, and he's been trying to turn the leaf. But so I was sad to see Marshand resort back to that. But yeah, I think, it was like Crosby wasn't doing anything intentional and trying to hurt Bergeron. They both have respect for each other. They both play together on the Olympic team for Canada. So they obviously never try to do that. But just like I said, unfortunate hit that's going to see Bergeron miss some time. Yeah, and it is unfortunate. And of course, he does have you know some concussion history. So that's really scary. And it's kind of a dark day for Bruins fans with questions about Bergeron's health. Marshan suspended for six games. Tuka Rask hanging it up uh, pretty abruptly. Things are starting to change in Boston. And time will tell as we count down towards the trade deadline here what uh, Don Sweeney sees within his Boston Bruins. But a couple quick notes of news around the NHL before we kind of get some quick takes on NHL All-Star Weekend. The Montreal Canadiens have fired their head coach, Dominic Ducharme, and they have hired Martin Saint-Louis to finish off the season as the head coach there in Montreal. And then just this morning, we had Dave Tippett fired as the Edmonton Oilers head coach, and he's replaced by Jay Woodcroft. Now, let the fun begin as far as the NHL talk goes. How much of All-Star Weekend did you watch, if any? I tried watching the games, and it was just painful to watch. Like, painful. That was so bad. Like, I watched the skill comp, because like, those are always fun. Like, watching the guys have fun like that, especially when they're mic'd up. Like, yeah. the Zegras mic'd up on the bench was hilarious. What was your favorite skill competition? Which one out of the group? Um, see, I love like the, the fastest skater. Like, it's crazy to see how fast those guys can move on ice without, like, missing a step. I was like, I can barely skate. So it's like, how do you move that fast? Going, like, 24 miles per hour, whatever they clock in at. Mm-hmm. What about you? What's your favorite? Well, it was close for me. The, the Blackjack event was impressive. I think it really showed the skill of some of these players – you know, that first round, everybody hit 21, which I honestly wasn't expecting right away. 
and lo and behold, it happened. I was like, oh my God, like this is amazing. And then to see Joe Pavelski hit every single card that he was aiming to hit was just flat out impressive. I'm not going to lie. But then again, the breakaway challenge, even though it's really stupid and, you know, filled with gimmicks and what have you. And of course, John Hamm ruined it for everybody and gave a bogus score. It's exciting. It's fun to watch. That Trevor Zegris trick and that goal that he did, whatever it's called, was phenomenal. And a lot of people were saying, oh, well, he could probably see through that blindfold. Well, they came out afterwards and they talked about it. And Gibson was only supposed to wrap it around his head one time. So he would still be able to see to some degree. And if you go back and you look at it, he actually went through and he did it twice. And Zegras said he started to panic because he couldn't see like it was planned. And he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to do it, but he pulled it off anyway. So that just, that did it for me. I don't know. It was exciting. It was fun to watch. And I think John Tortorella doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, no, definitely the skill competition is definitely better than the NFL. Like that's, it just felt kind of weak this year. Like, you know, NFL Pro Bowl and all the events they have. Mm-hmm. They try to make it fun, but for me, it was awful. And then the games, too, like both games, NHL yeah. All-Star games and the NFL Pro Bowl game. It's like no, nobody like, cares. Nobody cares. Nobody tries. Like, and that's the whole thing. And that's where the NFL's got a lot of criticism, too, with theirs. It's, there were seven interceptions thrown. Like, they're out there playing two-hand touch. Like, mm-hmm. back in the day, you had – um which um, I forget his name now. It's Sean Taylor come up and just blowing guys up, taking their head off in a Pro Bowl game. Like, I don't care. I'm here to play football. I'm here to hit. And now it's two-hand touch football pretty much. Yeah. Now, I will agree. The beginning of the, the All-Star games for the NHL were really slow, but that final game was actually a little bit more competitive than I expected after the first two. But I heard something funny over the week that they should make the NHL players that go to the all-star, whichever team wins, those players don't pay any escrow on their contracts. Oh yeah. Definitely. You have to give them a little like motivation. Like, Hey, you're chosen here. Like put in the effort and you got to play for something. You got to give them something. So I kind of like that. Yeah. Time will tell. I mean, it was definitely more exciting and, you know, a little bit more of a spectacle being in Vegas than anywhere else. Um, I honestly wouldn't mind seeing them do it in Vegas every year. But of course, the NHL loves to spread the love around. And yeah, just like the whole one player per team rule. Oh, my God. Yeah. But speaking of spreading the love around, since Jake's not here, why doesn't everybody take a minute out of their time? and go to InsideTheRink.com and go to the shop. Look at the Cue the Duck Boats merch. Think about Jake and COVID protocol this week. Get yourself a shirt. Get yourself a hoodie. Put a smile on his face for when he comes back next week. How about that? Yeah, we all know Jake's probably up in bed wearing his Cue the Duck Boat sweatshirt all tucked in with his uh, fiance feeding him soup. So, <laughs> Well, I think that about wraps it up for our NHL talk this week, but... 
as everybody knows, the Super Bowl is coming. So, Kevin, why don't you take it away? Lead us through some NFL talk here. All right. Thank you, Connor. Yeah, I'm excited for the Super Bowl. It's I can't believe the season's already gone through that much. Like, we're already here at the Super Bowl Sunday. And we all know, like, the new Week 18 added, the extra game, playing 17 games. Super Bowl's a week later than it normally would be because we added that extra week. So, it's definitely like, wow. It's like we're mid-February and it's the Super Bowl. So, definitely we have a huge matchup this Sunday. You have Joe, uh, Joey Burr. Um, Mr. Shiesty over here for the Bengals going against Matty Stafford. Both two former number one overall picks. They definitely took different routes in their career, and that's like a big thing people have talked about leading up to this game is you have Stafford in his 13th year. He was number one overall pick, and he played in the playoffs for the first time. He's going to his first Super Bowl. And you have Joe Burrow in his second season, and he tore his ACL last season, so he didn't even play the full season. So in his first full season, second season in the league, he's already going to the Super Bowl, which a lot of people didn't see the Bengals as um, even a playoff team coming into the year. I think they were like 25 or 30 to 1 odds to even go to the Super Bowl or win it. So it's definitely a big turnaround for them. I think they were 4-11-1 last year. And now here they are in the Super Bowl the following year. So it's definitely going to be a big game. Um, On that, who do you think is going to win this game, Connor? I know you're not the biggest football guy, but. Um, Who do I want to win? I would love to see the Bengals win. But I, I think the Rams are just too heavy of a favorite. They've got too much talent on both sides of the ball. I, I don't think that's something that, you know, Joe Cool over there is going to be able to finesse his way out of. I don't, I don't see it happening. Yeah, no, I'm definitely the same way. I would love to see the Bengals win it. Um, for me, it's either I would, I want the Bengals, but it comes down to Joe Burrow or Matt Stafford. I'd love to see Matt Stafford put a Super Bowl on his resume, especially he's getting up there in his year, so his time's more limited. Like this is just the beginning for Joe. So for me, I want the Bengals either or winning. I'm okay with it. And that's the thing. The Rams, like, they're done, like, trying to develop draft picks. They're trading away all their first-round picks, and they're getting veteran guys. They want established players. They're like, we we don't want to take the flyers. We want people that have already proven themselves, and we're willing to pay. You've seen them bringing Von Miller this year, bringing Matt Stafford this year. Um, bringing Jalen Ramsey last year with that huge haul, the Jacksonville. And they're just, they just want players they know that are going to perform. They want Eric Weddle to come out of retirement for this season. You winning on uh, OBJ. So they're definitely, it's two different ways these teams have been built. You have the Bengals that they've gone through the draft. You drafted Burrow, number one overall. You drafted Jamar Chase this year. Um, so fifth overall real quick uh just for context here we are doing a late night burning of the oil and jamar chase actually just named the offensive rookie of the year just wanted to throw that in there while you're talking about him oh that's awesome so uh, i think was it episode nine maybe i gave you guys all that bet to pick jamar chase offensive rookie of the year 
Oh, the guys took my advice, so it just paid off. Cha-ching! Love some money. Yeah, so, but definitely, you have two teams that went two different routes, and that's always cool to see in football how GMs go about making up their teams. Well, enough about that. Um, going to the score. Like, what do you think? It's what do you think score wise? Do you think it's be a high scoring or a low scoring defensive or middle of the range? Um, to be honest, I think that it's going to be more of a defensive game, but I think the Rams will still be able to put up points. I think that they'll probably win 28 to 14 or 28 to 12, somewhere in that range. Ooh, okay. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm the same thing with the Rams or not even the Rams scoring 28, but I think it's definitely it's going to be in the twenties. I think both teams are going to score a couple touchdowns. You're definitely going to see some big plays. Like you just can't like keep Cooper Cup down. Cooper Cup is just an animal. So I definitely see Cooper Cup scoring a TD or two. Um, Jamar Chase. So I'm going more. I think it'd be like a 28 to 24 or a 24 to 21 game. There's definitely going to be field goals. Both teams love kicking field goals. So I think it's definitely be in that range, the 20s or 30s. I really don't see them scoring 35, 42 points. That just seems too much. Because um, both teams have shown their offenses, once they like start slowing down, like they stall out. And they'll go over drive after drive. And you've seen that where the Rams, when they came out hot against Tom Brady, and then they, they, they slow down that whole second half before finally getting into gear on that last drive. So it could definitely be interesting like score-wise, but I'm going like 28-24 is probably my bet. Fair enough, fair enough. And then the big one, Super Bowl MVP. So um, can I pick two? One yeah, you can do for like one team. Right? Yeah, just get you, this team wins. For the Bengals, team. it's definitely going to be Joe Burrow if they win. Um so what I've seen most out of Joe Burrow is he takes a beating and he manages to keep getting up. He can break some tackles and he can make some plays. The thing with the Rams is they're not going to be missing tackles or letting him break out of tackles with their defensive front. So if the Bengals win, it's going to be on the back of Joe Burrow and he'll be the MVP for the Rams. This is a tough one, but I think it's probably going to end up being Matty Stafford. I would love to say Cooper Cup, but you've got to imagine that they're going to have a game plan to limit his receptions, and Stafford's going to have to spread the love around, and that'll that'll just bring him the MVP, in my opinion. It, it'll have to be the quarterbacks. Yeah, no, I'm definitely on the same boat. It just I feel like you really don't see many other players these days You'll see a good defensive player like Von Miller getting it, or you'll see someone like um, Julian Edelman getting Super Bowl MVP when you have Unreal Games. But like you said, the matchup, they're definitely going to have a double Cooper Cup. And especially when you have Jesse Bates out there at safety. So you're going to see Cooper Cup a lot. So, yeah, they're going to have to rely on those tight ends. They're going to have to rely on Van Jefferson and OBJ a lot in the run game. So, 
Matthew Stafford is a guy who is a gunslinger. They're him and Burrow both. So I definitely feel like it's going to be a quarterback. Um, one thing I hate seeing a lot is people are like Aaron Donald. He's going to win MVP. Like he won't get Defensive Player of the Year, but he'll win Super Bowl MVP. I just I can see Donald's definitely going to have his impact on this game. Which we'll talk right now um, about matchups, but I definitely agree with you. Uh, either Joe Burrow, or Matty Stafford, for the MVP. Absolutely. So, which brings us into the key matchups, which is going to be the Bengals O line versus the Rams pass pass rush. When you have a guy like Aaron Donald, who just disrupts so many plays, just stuffs the interior line so you can't run the ball. It definitely makes it tough, and you have a you have a uh, Bengals O line that's shown. Especially in that Titans game, hey, Joe Burrow can get sacked eight, nine times. But they also said they can give that many sacks and still win. So it's definitely gonna be interesting. And then Cooper Cup and those wide and those cornerbacks out in um for Cincinnati and as I said earlier, Jesse Bates. Unreal is a second team all pro safety this year. So him being able to come over the top and cut off Cooper Cup's deep routes will definitely be important. And then, and don't sleep on um, the Bengals D line. They went out and got Trey Hendrickson this offseason, coming off a big year from the Saints, and he's proven he's the heart and soul of that D line. So there's definitely some great matchups to watch. And then the big one's the coaching. Sean McVay for him being so young. Like so, both head coaches are under forty this year, first time ever. Um, and they're both geniuses. They both coached together when they were in Washington both from the same coaching tree. So, like, similar mindsets and just offensive gurus. They know how to get the right players going, and they know who to get the, whose hands they get the ball in and make the big plays. So that's going to be a great coaching matchup, one we haven't seen as an under 40. Um, what about you, Connor? What do you think? I, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as – the Rams defensive unit and line there against the Bengals O line. I think it's going to come down to, can you keep Joe Burrow on his feet and let him make your plays to win you a championship? And I think so far this playoffs more often than not, Joe's ended up on his ass quite a bit. And I think that's going to, that's going to be the determining factor. Yeah, no, definitely. And then why i forgot how I don't even know how I forgot about it was Jamar Chase versus um, Jalen Ramsey. You're going to have a veteran quarter, scrappy dude like Ramsey against the young hotshot Jamar Chase. And in his first season, he's already over 1,700 yards going into the Super Bowl with regular season and playoffs. So that's going to be a matchup. One thing to note, though, is Jalen Ramsey doesn't cover the field with everyone. He plays one side of the field. So it's going to be interesting to see how often they put Jamar in motion just to see if they can get Ramsey off of him and then maybe like line T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd up with Ramsey to try to get him taken out of the game. So that's one big matchup too. Um, So that kind of brings us, wraps us up on our Super Bowl talk. Unless you got anything else to say, Connor, you all set. On the Super Bowl, I think that puts a bow on it pretty nice. I think we covered everything we wanted to cover. 
All right, then for you, those betting, the Rams are the favorites in this game. Uh, let me just pull up and see how for the spread. I know the money lines. So the Rams are a four-point favorite. So that's kind of big. So if they win by a field goal, you win. If they win by four, like I predicted my score, 20-24, you'll push. So kind of good lines. Um but especially if you go Bengals, if they lose by a field goal, you still win. So they'll definitely cover. I feel like they'll cover. What does that brings us in? Um, Connor, I don't know if anyone knows. Connor's a Green Bay fan. He has the iconic cheese head. And he has it with him right now. I brought him along awesome. with us. Too bad they can't see it. Hopefully soon in the future, we'll start putting some videos up on YouTube and I'll wear the cheese head for an episode just to make everybody laugh. Of course. Yeah, that's our goal, guys. We're definitely want to start getting videos. You can see our faces, put the name and the voices to the face. So that'll be exciting down the road. We have a lot of a lot of projects coming in from not just cue the duck boats, but also inside the rink. Like big things coming ahead. So stay tuned for all that. So some big questions we're seeing now that we're at Super Bowl weekend and you have the off-season free agency starting Monday. So a big one out in Green Bay is, will Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams stay in Green Bay? What are your thoughts on that, Connor? Well, it, it doesn't sound or feel like Aaron Rodgers is coming back just because of all the shit he has stirred in green Bay throughout the season before the season, etc. But if you look at it, all of the other destinations that he's, you know, quote unquote rumored to be going to, I, I think green Bay is still his best option as long as Devonte Adams stays. And I think Adams is going to stay as long as Rogers is there. So I feel like if Rogers decides, you know what, I need to get out of here. I'm going to go somewhere else, get me out of here. Then I think Devontae Adams is probably going to be shortly going along with him because Jordan Love is not that guy. Yeah, no, so, it's definitely. Long-winded answer of saying absolutely not. I think he moves on. Yeah, so I'm going to agree to that. Um, definitely Rogers is gone. I think he's just forcing their hand at this point, and it comes down like, with that negativity, it starts to affect the locker room, especially when you have young guys. And Rogers has a, a me mentality. He wants to win. He, well, he's 38 years old, I'm pretty sure. So he's getting up there, and he knows his time's limited, injury away from it all being up, hanging it up. So he's in that, I want to win, win, win. Same the way Peyton Manning was. I want to win. I'm going to go to a team that's going to win. So I definitely think Rogers would be gone. Um, in the case of Devontae Adams, he is eligible for the franchise tag. And if you're Green Bay, you have the franchise tag. You can't let someone that good, still kind of in his prime, leave. He's only 29. He's going to command one big more contract, four or five-year contract. So if you franchise tag him and then trade him and get a first or two firsts or a second or get a young player back – you definitely have to do that because there's going to be teams starving for a number one wide receiver like Devontae Adams. 
So you give them the franchise tag, probably like 18, 20 mil, but maybe a little more. I'm not sure the numbers on what they decided this year for wide receiver franchise tags. But I think Adams will definitely be back. Will he be there a full season? If Rodgers isn't there, I don't think so. But I think you definitely have to bring him back and give Jordan Love a target. Adams may not be happy, which also that may force his hands. I don't want to rebuild either. So there's definitely a lot of moving pieces going on there in Green Bay. And it's definitely going to be interesting. And with the whole Jordan Love, I agree. In the starts he had this year, when he had given the opportunity, I didn't see that he had what it took. It could it's still his second year in the league. He's still young, not a lot of reps, nervous. But he was supposed to be this huge guy that you took in the end of the first round instead of getting a receiver for Rodgers. And you're pissing off your franchise quarterback. And you're trying to replicate the whole Aaron Rodgers sitting behind Brett Favre. So that's definitely going to be interesting see what happens the next couple months into the summer. But any other thoughts on that? Well, I, I think what is like the most impactful part of this for me is no single person owns the Packers. They are owned by the city of Green Bay and they have a board. So it's, you know, it's not like, you know, the Patriots during the heyday of Tom Brady when Tom had an issue with the coach and how things were going, you know, and the general manager, general manager in air quotes there, because obviously it was Belichick. He could go to the owner and voice, you know, his issues and say, hey, like, this is what I need or what I want. And there was some wiggle room there because the owner could be like, OK, well, we can do this for you and I'll talk to the coaching staff. That's not how it works in Green Bay. It's really, you know, their way or the highway. They treat it like a real business. You know, there's no, you know, favoritism really for the star players. And I think that also factors into a lot of Rogers issues because of how much of a diva he truly is at heart. So, you know, that's something that you can't really look past. But at the same time, you know, if if Rodgers moves on, there's going to be probably two or three other quarterbacks waiting to take his place in the league. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And also I think the way it's structured there has led to Rodgers being so outspoken in the media. And he just, for him, he probably feels he has no one really to vent to or yell at or blame, so he goes to the media and just puts it all out there. Pressures the organization by pressing on the media to make a bad spin. Exactly. So, moving on from that, what do you think Green Bay needs the most this offseason? So, say Rodgers leaves, they're going Jordan Love, Adams is back on the franchise tag. What do you think that one key piece that you got, like this year that you were missing? Um, it's probably another, you know, maybe slot receiver, some type of, you know, offensive weapon, because as soon as you shut down Adams, there was really nothing left. Of course, Robert Tanyan was hurt. 
so that took away a weapon. But as far as the receiving core, Valdez, Scanling, eh, he was hit or miss. Lazard, hit or miss. And then Randall Cobb, you know, he, he's an aging player. It's, you know, nothing to really shake your nose at. But I think it's going to be to the point where it it's not going to matter what the receivers are because if Aaron Rodgers leaves, the person throwing to the ball to those receivers is going to suck anyway. So I feel like if Rodgers leaves and you can franchise tag Devontae Adams, maybe you try to move Adams to a team where you can get a good quarterback or a good young quarterback in return. I mean, that that just makes the most sense to me. It, it's kind of like in the NHL. If you have a goalie, you're in your games. If you don't have a goalie, it's not going to matter. You know, i.e. Montreal Canadiens and Arizona Coyotes. If you don't have the goaltending, you're shit. If you don't have a quarterback who can distribute the ball, you're shit. Yeah, no, I totally agree on that. And that was the whole thing, like you're saying, like especially in that playoff game, once Adams was done, he was covered up, Rodgers had nowhere to like nowhere to throw, and you have all these young guys that haven't proven themselves in season after season. They have their flashes, but there's never any consistency. Like like Valdez Scanlon, like he has those deep play balls, but then he has the drops. You had a down season from Aaron Jones. You have AJ Dillon that looks like a real beast too. So your running game's there. It's just you need a little more offense. A weapon. Your defense is there. Finally, all those years of oh, Rogers doesn't have a defense like Tom Brady does. Rogers has a defense now. The last three years, when you go thirteen three, you have a defense. So yeah, it's definitely tough, especially if Rogers leaves or he just gives it one more try. But so we'll move off Green Bay. Um Washington football team finally has their new name, the Washington Commanders. Personally, I like I kind of like it. I'm not sold on it yet. It's definitely interesting. It's better than the Cleveland Guardians over in the MLB. I don't know why you would ever choose the Guardians, but Commanders, I think it'll work. It'll be interesting. What are your thoughts on the Commanders? I don't know. It just it sounds out of place. I, I I was one of the people who was completely fine with it actually being the Washington football team. I don't know why, but that sounds better than Washington Commanders to me. Yeah, like I kind of like seeing the WFT. But <laughs> really, nothing wrong with that. Like, on the score WFT. Yeah. But, yeah, it was definitely tough. Like you had so many names, you chose the Commanders. And this is like so much money goes into this rebranding a whole entire franchise, making all the merchandise. But they're so, making a piss load more money because now all their fans are going out and buying new shirts, sweatshirts, jerseys, you name it. Yeah, and the things you have to get it right the first time too. It's not like, oh, every three years, oh, we're going to get a new name. It's like, no, once you put it in because then you got your sponsors and everything. So definitely interesting over there in Washington. With yeah. Dan Snyder and the boys. The commander's definitely uh definitely not wowing me. 
It's definitely something I could forget about. And that brings us into the NFL coaching. There's been a lot of moves over the last week of who's taken over what job. I know we've talked about a couple of these over the last couple episodes, two episodes ago when we did the whole football. But do over some new ones. Now, I apologize if I bring up ones we talked about. Like Chicago Bears, you have Matt Eberfuss. He used to be the DC uh, defensive coordinator of the Colts. He's now in Chicago. A big one I liked was uh, Nathaniel Hackett for the Broncos. Definitely, they need an offensive coordinator, like an offensive-minded guy, and he was the OC for the Packers. So being able to run that offense and bring that there when you have so many young receivers and a young tight end and young running back, and be able to jumpstart that once you get a good quarterback over in the draft, they can find somebody. And then what else do we have over here? Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith is making his comeback as a head coach for the Houston Texans. Definitely did not see Lovey Smith getting another head coaching job, but definitely good. Houston has their guy, defensive minded. Just I think it's going to take so much more of a Houston to rebound than just getting a veteran head coach. There's yeah. just so many problems over there. Just you got to figure out the whole Deshaun Watson situation. Like, I really, I'm, we're not going to go into that. It's just a whole other bunch of issues over there. But, and then a big name, too, not a head coach, but Gus Bradley taking over defensive coordinator for the Colts after Eberfluss left for the Bears. So, as if I see, like, Gus Bradley, a guy that's jumped around the league from being the head coach of the Jags, uh, defensive coordinator over in, Oak, in uh, Las Vegas now. So he's with the Colts and see if he can keep that defense firing all cylinders. And then another one was the Jacksonville Jaguars. They went with Doug Peterson. A guy like I didn't I didn't like Doug Peterson when he was in um Philadelphia. I just never really did it for me. And which is weird because I know like Brian Leftwich, the offensive coordinator for the Bucks, like he was the name attached to Jacksonville. Like, I really thought Jacksonville would hire him. Like, he's a young guy. He's a genius on offense. I know you have Tom Brady, but he knows what he's doing. That offense flourished under him. And just there's a lot of guys, they just haven't been given a chance. Same with, like, Eric Benamy, the offensive coordinator over in uh, Kansas City. And what we saw in the Brian Flores lawsuit against certain teams in the NFL is, he named a lot of these guys young black coaches that just aren't getting the opportunities. They get the interviews, but how seriously are they being taken? And a lot of times, like we all know what the Rooney rule is. You have to interview a certain amount of minority coaches to fill a quota and try to diversify the league. But a lot of teams like Brian Ford has gone through and, He's like, hey, I'm just getting the interview just so they fill that quota. Like, I don't even have a chance to get the job. They're just using me because I'm a black head coach. I'm a black coach. And it's kind of see that something really needs to change with the Rooney rule because it is getting out of hand. Like, if this is the case, and it seems it is, and you have such offensive geniuses, defensive geniuses that 
they need the opportunity to be shown and forced. And you have a lot of guys at the old boys club, like Doug Peterson, they're coming up. They're getting a chance after they flamed out. Like, and even like um, Urban Meyer could do the job over a lot of these guys, up-and-coming coordinators. You have all these young guys like McVay and LaFleur and McDaniels. Like, they're all getting the jobs, but not these other guys. Um, it's definitely interesting. You got any comment on that, Connor, or – no, I mean, I'm right along with you there as far as the Rooney rule. I mean, I, I understand the meaning behind it, but for me, it's just, I don't know. I'm obviously not a black man in America, so this is really hard for me to really, you know, really feel or understand. But if I were in that position, I would feel downright absolutely fucking insulted if somebody interviewed me just to check a box and then say, thanks for coming see you next time. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. There's, there's gotta be a better way to accomplish that goal without making somebody a statistic or a box to check. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Cause it, it should never come down to race, especially it's coming down to your ability and what these guys offer to their teams is they are leaders. They have the respect from their players on their current teams. And they're saying you read these players that they come out in their tweets and their interviews and like the amount of respect they have just because a lot of these guys that you're coming to the league as a 22 year old kid. And these are the men that are showing you the way. And it's like, like a father figure, like coach father figure that we've always had that like everyone if you played sports there's always that one coach that is a father figure for you they're there to help you out they want the best in you it's not just about the sport it's about you growing up and becoming the man that you should be and being the best you can be and that's what all these coaches have and that's what they've shown and they've proven it and they're not getting the opportunity to lead their own teams like so like you said, something has to change. It can't just be, I'm checking a box so I don't get fined. And especially with Roger Goodell, it's, you want to make all these changes and go after all these people for the flaky, which, really, which isn't even real, guys. Like, that whole new report that came out. Like, use your good to fight an actual problem. Like, racism in football. Discrimination in football. It's there. It exists. And it needs to be changed and addressed. But let's move on from that. Um, Josh McDaniels and David Zegler, they both left New England and they took over Las Vegas as the new head coach and GM combo. That's huge because now it's who's going to fill in New England for an offensive coordinator. There's a lot of guys, especially with Mac Jones, you want people familiar with um, that systems you don't want him to go back, you don't want him learning new things. And then a big one for me that I loved was Mike McDaniel becoming the head coach of the Dolphins. I don't think that job ever should have been open. Brian Flores definitely never should have been fired. He was doing great things over there. But Mike McDaniel is a great coach, a guy, another guy I respected in that by his players and 
he's just a genius with the run game. And so I'm glad he finally gets a chance. And I wish him the best of luck. And another one's Kevin O'Connell, offensive coordinator for the Rams. He's going to Minnesota. And Dennis Allen for the Saints. He got the call from defensive coordinator when Sean Mc, um not Sean McVay, but Sean Payton um, retired early or stepped away. So definitely big things to come there. So we're going to hop off the uh, the head coaching and just talk one more thing before we wrap it up tonight. Uh, yeah, we've been going for a little. It's getting late here for us. But what's uh, the senior bowl standouts? The Senior Bowl is a great thing every year for college players, like kids in like smaller schools, or people that just didn't get a lot of like recognition during the season. It's just one place where you're practicing the whole week with NFL coaches one on one to showcase your talents, and then you're playing in a game. And I know for the Patriots, Belichick loves the Senior Bowl. Like that's where he finds like a lot of his um, diamonds in the rough. It's where he discovered Kyle Duggar, like a D2 player. And Belichick loves going for the senior bowl. And this year you had a lot of guys that definitely up their stock. Like that's the biggest thing. You have anyone that's able to up their stock during the senior bowl, it's it's huge, especially as a quarterback. So the there's big three takeaways of the quarterbacks this year, the senior bowl. And the first one was Kenny Pickett. A guy I've talked about before, played at Pittsburgh, big body, big arm, intelligent guy. Um, he showed off in the Super Bowl. He was 6 of 6, 89 yards, and a touchdown. He really just showed, like, hey, I could be the number one quarterback to go off the board. So it was definitely good to see him show that and have that confidence. And then another two were uh, Cincinnati's Desmond uh, Ritter. Like, he really showed off his passing. He's like, he has what it takes. And he definitely slid himself in a top five quarterback position. And another one was Liberty's Malik Willis, which we I've talked about on the pod before. And his rushing, Malik Willis is a legit dual-threat quarterback. He has the rushing skills. He had 54 yards on just four carries in the first quarter of the senior bowl. Like, he has that escapability, Lamar Jackson-esque type running skills, and he has the arm. And then the other one was he didn't play, but Matt uh, Coral, Corral, um, out of Ole Miss, he had his ankle injuries. We all know in the bowl game. But those are going to be the top four quarterbacks taken in this draft. And I think you can see them all going in the first round, depending on how many teams are – really feeling quarterback hungry, but, and then you had a couple edge rushers like Minnesota's boy Moff, and he was named the national squad's player of the game. And he just showed how unblockable he was playing against top talent um, tackles and how explosive he was. And he really just elevated his game. And then for all you Boston people, Little hometown guy, uh, Boston College offensive lineman, Zion Johnson. This man is elite. He is such a big body, physical presence. And he didn't play in the first quarter, but as soon as he came to the second quarter, 
that inside running game just blew up. He just tosses people around. He's a guard, and he's just such a dominant player. And it's it's always nice to see BC guys go and play well. But that's really gonna wrap it up for me in the NFL talk. Uh, really appreciate you guys coming out, listening again. I know definitely without Jake here, I do ramble a lot. Connor, <laughs> Connor, and his hockey insight was definitely. I don't know hockey. I know football. I know a little hockey. So it's nice to play off. It's nice when it's the trio of us because we all have something. We we all have a little add on, and it's been nice having Jake back and having Connor on. Connor's our favorite guest, our only guest, but our favorite. <laughs> no competition yet. I love it. <laughs> but of course, it's been my pleasure to step in for Jake here. We wish him well. Hope uh, he recovers soon and maybe we'll make it back for next week. But for all of you, thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. And of course, please go to insidetherink.com and check out all of your hockey news and of course, everything Duck Boats pod related. We really appreciate you and your support. And we will see you again next week. Thank you so much. <laughs>